Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello and welcome back, Decode Your Burnout fans. I'm Dr. Sharon Grossman, and you are in for a treat today. I have with me Mr. Gary Collins. He is the podcast show host for The Simple Life with Gary Collins. And I was lucky enough to be on his show to talk about burnout. And now Gary's here to tell us a little bit about his burnout story. Gary, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. And it will give my background at the same time with this burnout. And I've burned out a couple of times in life. I'm sure all of us can relate to that. But how I ended up here, I mean, what I do today, this is exactly how I ended up. I was uh, had spent 20 years in the government, federal government, military intelligence. Uh, I was a reservist uh, for 13 active duty reservist for 13 half years. I was a federal agent for over 12 years. And they coincided and, and were off each other. And so by the time I, I finally left, I had actually spent half my life in the federal government wow. by the time I left. So half my life was basically that whole, whole job. And I grew up very poor, very rural in the middle of nowhere, completely self-made. Uh, my parents couldn't even fill out. My mom couldn't even fill out my college application. Me and my student, my counselor had to do it. And I, you know, I had to do all, go to college. I had to apply for it all on my own, paid for it on my own. Did all this. I had some scholarships and things. So I'm, I'm a kid from nowhere who built himself and made something out of himself. And so, you know, going into the government through my country, I was always very patriotic. And that's what I wanted to do. You know, I, I, I just believe, you know, you, you, I believe in nationalism. I do. I think you should love your country. If you're here and you're part of it and you're reaping the benefits out of it, you should give back and you should love your country. So I served and I, I did, you know, I had a top secret clearance all the way through, saw a lot of things that, you know, 99.9% of people will never, ever see or hear <laughs> a lot of private conversations. I did a lot of protection. And so at the end I had gone, I was in my third agency as a criminal investigator and it was at the FDA. And as you can imagine, uh, I was warned uh, before I transferred there and everyone said, Ooh, the FDA. And I went, what, what's the big deal? You know? <laughs> I can handle it, you know, yeah. and, and a lot of people, are, and they were right. I will give them credit. It was far worse than I could have ever imagined. It is a cesspool. It is oh. highly corrupt. It is highly incestuous. And it, it's, it gave me the insight though. All these things gave me the insight into how big pharma works, big medical works, big health, big government, military industrial complex, uh, the criminal justice system. I mean, I had a big swatch of everything. And the, uh, the, I, 
about seven years of my career, I'd realized because I left a very good job. I, I went from the military, had a gap where I worked two years for a, um, a I guess the best way it was kind of a networking computer software company. So I was a sales guy, but I was a technical sales guy. And I had a good job. I made a lot of money <laughs> and I was doing really well. And I had to take a pay cut when the job finally came through in the government because back then it took two to three years to get hired because it was all manual. There wasn't, you know, there, it didn't, you didn't scan your, your application or your resume and you had to hand fill everything out. You had to put it in the mail. You had to send it registered mail. You had to call and make sure they, they got it. Then they had to put it in their system. It was to get hired in the government back then as what I did was a long process, interviews, testing. I mean, I flew three different times, three different parts of the country to test and get the job. I mean, nuts, six months of training all over the country. So that's what I mean. It's, it was go, 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 go. And I left an easy job, took a pay cut to go back in the government. And once you're in, you know, <laughs> it's hard to explain. Unless you're, you've done it, it's very different from everyday life of an everyday American. It's just very different. And so did your burnout happen when you were in that lucrative job and you were go, 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 or when you were in the government job and it no. was like this just different environment altogether? I'll be honest with the private job. I was doing so well. I'd narrowed it down. I was working 20 hours a week. I was bored. <laughs> I, 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 and that's what I mean. To me, the normal world is slow. And you'll, if you talk to a lot of veterans and a lot of people who did things like I did, we find the world dull in a way. And it's hard because I had to adjust and I had to get out and readjust into normal everyday society. And it's a little tough because you've done things so differently. And so I, I, you know, I went in. Did all my training about seven years in, I knew that I was like, nah, I don't know if this is for me. I'd kind of mastered a lot of the, you know, what I was doing. And not that I was, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's just I'd been doing it seven years and I had a background, I had a college education, I'd been in the military. I'd already been doing this stuff a long time. And I said, you know what? I'll just suck it up. And I go chase the carrot, right? We've all been taught that. Chase the carrot, get your retirement, do your time. You know, and I'm in my 30s at this point. So I got a long time to go. And so I kept going, going, going until I got to the FDA. Um, and I tell people it was a blessing in disguise, even though it was a, a pretty big turning point in my life in, in general. And I've lost touch with a lot of things. I wasn't such a nice guy. I could be a real, a real jerk. Um, and you tend to get that way. You're very jaded and you see people differently and you read people differently. That's the um, cynicism of burnout, by the way. Exactly. And that's what I mean. And that's the job. The job, what I did is everyone burns out at some point. I mean, it just does. And so I, I'm sure I was burned out way before, but I kept limping it along, kept limping along, health getting bad, you know, starting uh, bad habits, you know, not sleeping well. And at the end at the FDA, it had gotten so bad and the, the environment was so toxic that I realized uh, I had to, I was actually forced into a decision to leave in a way, mm -hmm. but I was probably going to leave it. You know, it, it was one of those choices where you realize looking back, it was truly a life or death choice because I firmly think I probably would have died of a stroke or heart, heart attack within the next couple of years. So, um, so take us through this. You said that the environment there was toxic. Mm -hmm. So certainly that was a, an environmental stressor for you. Um, 
but what else was going on that you think contributed to your burnout? Yeah, it was, and that's the hard part for me is I think part of it was I'd lost touch with what I, who I was. Yeah. You know, I grew up very rural. I loved being outside. I loved hunting. Well, you know, the government, I was in big cities. I wasn't living rolling. I was living in big cities. I was in Southern California. At this point, I was working out of LA, Orange County, and I hate LA. Anyone who knows me knows I actually detest LA. And so I think that had, and I was commuting from San Diego every day. So an hour and a half, two hour commute every day on top of a 10, 12 hour work schedule. And you you don't get weekends off. That's another thing. People don't understand my job. I had many, uh, especially when I was with the state department, many times where I worked 30, 45 days straight without a day off. And we're talking brutal hours and doing personal protection for some of it, uh, standing, standing post in 105 degree heat, you know, wearing a full vest, suit, gear, you know, that's, I mean, it was, I was probably well burned out before this, but this was like the, the tipping point of once I, this day happened, I remember the day pretty vividly still now. And I remember I was supposed to have a meeting and one of my bosses came in, supervisors, and he looked at me and goes, man, you don't look good. Because I, I, was, I was in a bad place. I was battling. I was battling within my office and uh, not such good people. And that's another problem I have is the government is filled with horrible, horrible people at the top. Uh, these bosses and, and upper echelon of our federal government is I can't even explain how bad it is. They're just terrible people. And trying to deal with this as a guy just trying to get through, you know, I'm just a guy trying to do his job. Leave me alone. Let me get through this. And they don't do that. If they decide they don't like you or something spins on you, it happens fairly quickly. And I always thought it's not going to be me. I do a good job. I'm just the normal dude. And things twisted on me. And, you know, there I was. And he goes, hey, man, you look like you're, you're probably, you look like you're about to have a stroke. And because I guess I was pure pale and I was starting to sweat and I was in the bathroom and he goes, you just look awful. And he goes, uh, you got to go home. And I think he knew that if I went to that meeting, that meeting might kill me. And I think he understood what was going on. And yeah, I just, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating right. I was probably hitting the booze a little bit. You know, I was doing all the wrong things that you shouldn't do, but you do under stress. Exactly. And so that was it. That was uh, my last day. And I went home and I never came back. And I made the decision not to come back. I could have eas- I could have come back. And I had other applications with other agencies. I could have left and went somewhere else. And I kind of went, I'm done. Yeah. And I realized at that point, I literally didn't know how burned out I was until I got some help. I had to go get help. And I went, you know, I was talking to, oh, dude, you're a mess. I mean, you're, you're done. You're like end of the rope done. And I went, I didn't think so. I went, I was, you know, I'm Irish. I'm hard headed. I went, I just battle. I'll figure it out. And they're all, oh, no, 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 no. You know, they're all, you, yeah, you got to change some things. And I agreed, you know, and I went through a new metamorphosis. I changed my health and got back to the things I loved. Got back to old Gary, who was a goofy, kind of screw around, smart aleck kind of guy, you know, just, I, I was, I, I took life seriously, but not too seriously. I was serious when I needed to be, but I had fun when I wanted to have fun. That's how I always drew my lines. Um, a, a typical type A, right? You, you, everything I do is to full tilt. If I'm going to go out and we're going to go party, I'm going to party. I'm going to party like a rock star. If and, I'm going to go to work and go to work, I'm going to work. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. So from a decode your burnout perspective, when we talk about type A personalities, as you're describing your go, go, go mentality, uh, you definitely fit into a doer. That's exactly the definition of one, right? And so we can say that, you know, you had a lot of environmental stressors, you had toxic environment, you talk about the people there were terrible, you were working long shifts, you didn't have days off. And there was heat and, you know, just the physical stress of wearing all the armor and all these things. So all of that kind of together was very stressful. And on top of that, you have that internal pressure to constantly show up. And I have to ask, you mentioned that you were Irish. I don't know if that was uh, something that was taught in your family, but where do you think uh, you learned to be so... Uh, hard on yourself and keep pushing so hard, even when you're exhausted and you're not sleeping and you feel so miserable. Like, where did that work ethic come from? Uh, it came from my family and not in a good way. I looked at my family and I didn't like how they lived their lives. I didn't like where, where we were at, the way we grew up later in life. We were middle class till about seven. And then it was Poorville from there on out. Oh. And, you know, poor. And that's what I mean. Both parents, GEDs, and they didn't have avenues to improve their lives, and nor did they seem to have the, you know, the makeup to do it. I don't know what had happened, and and for a guy like me, I just I didn't understand it. And my my work ethic comes from not being that. That's where it derived from. I said I will not become my family, and and that's where you know. That's a bitter pill to swallow too at times, and, and, but that's life. I, hey, don't cry for me. There, I, say, I always say this, it, it, there, no matter how bad you have it, there's someone always out there that has it much, much worse. Agreed. And, and that's how I always looked at it. And I, I would catch myself, go, stop whining. Stop whining. Just grind it out. And that's how I am. I do it to this day. Not, not much has changed. Uh, I get frustrated. I get upset. Um, and I just grind. I just keep going. I don't stop. It's uh, what are you going to do if you stop? What's the point? Is so, the, so the mentality is still there. And now mm-hmm. you work for yeah. yourself. You're self-employed. Um, how does that show up in your day-to-day now that you are your own boss? Well, what has changed? And it didn't in the beginning. And that's what I mean. I had to learn these lessons after the fact and kind of, like I said, refine myself, rediscover myself. And what had happened is, you know... So I left and I, back then I was, this is, you know, I bought my house in 2007, 2008. So I was in the bubble and I was in the bubble in Southern California and I'd done it right. I'd put 20% down. So I was six figures in a down payment. I just remodeled it and I didn't have a job. And so I, you know, I tried asking the bank for some forgiveness to help me out. And they're like, no way. Matter of fact, they said, uh, when I had the lady on the phone, I go, Hey, if you can give me a year, and I'm not asking not to make payments. I mean, if you can just drop them down so I can get back on my feet. Because I had a lot of health problems too. I didn't get, I've gotten several surgeries since then. And I had to kind of fix a lot of things before I could figure out what the heck I was going to do. And she goes, well, do you have a car? And I go, what do you mean do I have a car? She goes, well, sell it. Make sure you make your payments. And I, that's when I went, I'm in trouble. I went, these banks have lost their minds. I did it right. And they, w- they would not give me any breaks, none. And I had to short sell it. And so learn that lesson, you know, another bitter pill to swallow that I'd done everything right. I'd, I'd pursued the American dream to the textbook. I did everything they told me to do. And I got handed a big bowl of crap at the end. And I was like, okay, don't let that happen again. You know, you've, you followed what you were told and now you've realized 
That's not the American dream. That's American nightmare. And, and leaving, I had to realize that I need to make my life uh, to a point where a lot of this stuff doesn't affect me. So what does that mean? So I sold everything, literally sold everything, had a cleansing, sold all my belongings, almost except for my dogs, my bike, and my tools and some clothes, and moved into a 475-square-foot little place. Uh, knocked my uh, out out my monthly out out you know as far as what I was paying by two thirds, and got rid of the house and started over from scratch. Completely started my life over again. Health, you know, multiple surgeries, laid up for almost a year and a half, but still started a business and tried to figure it out. And and for me though, what I had to teach myself is that I can take a day if. I'm coming to a point. Matter of fact, I did it. I, uh, the year, <laughs> this is bad timing. So the year before COVID, I decided um, I'd been building my off-grid house. That's what I was known for. Uh, I'd done interviews on it, but I was a health guy. So I was doing like survival podcasts and, and prepper podcasts. That, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't call myself one of those, but they liked me and how I taught things. And I could relate. I grew up hunting, fishing, outdoors. I'm, you know, I'm a redneck. That's how I lived. That's how I grew up. And so doing that, I'd lost focus on the business while building the house. So I got caught up and I finally said, I'm going to dedicate a year to the business and I'm going to work every single day for a year, get it back on track. But my rule was if I burned out or felt I was burning out, I would stop. And I did it and because I enjoy what I do. So it's different too. If you enjoy what you do, you don't mind working every day. But you got to catch yourself. I catch myself to this day going, you need to take a break. So now it's changed in the sense that I've talked myself and that I made it through the whole year. I made it. I didn't take any breaks. And at the end, I went, lesson learned, only do that once. Because <laughs> it was, it was starting to push me to burnout. But it was good because what it did teach me is one year of your life, life to dedicate to something you believe in is not that big of a deal. It really isn't. Anyone should be able to sacrifice a year of their life to do something to better, to reap the benefit further on. And I'm reaping them right now. So that's what I mean. That year gave me the lifestyle and put me in the position I am in today. Not perfect, but then COVID hits. Well, and I so, mean, you you had a total reset, which yeah. is which is I think what a lot of people right now probably are looking for. So it's very timely oh. that you're talking about this. And I know that you have a few tips for people if they're listening to this and maybe they've had a burnout story kind of like yours mm -hmm. where they were working in a toxic environment where maybe they're dealing with narcissistic people or you know just uh, have a lot of circumstances that feel very stressful and they have that go 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 mentality where they want to improve their life they want to push the envelope a little bit and do better than their parents, perhaps. Um, but it's just not working out for them. What would you advise them? That's life. Life doesn't work out all the time. And I've had to realize that too, that, you know, there are a lot of people who are, who are, you know, born luckily, lucky and, you know, born on third base and they think they hit a home run. You know, it's one of those simple attitudes of you got to realize your lot in life, your place in life, but you still drive it. Yeah. You may have been born at a disadvantage. You may not have all the things other people have, 
But you know what? No one cares. <laughs> to be honest with you, no one really cares. It's on you. And, and for me, it's about understanding what is your drive to be here? What are you going to do that makes you happy, that fulfills you? That's the third leg of my three-legged stool of the simple life and a life of freedom is finding your life purpose. And today, I think a lot of people confuse that for uh, physical items, shiny objects, that if I just get that Lexus, that's going to cure these blues. And it never does. That's not the key. The key is living the life you want simply, you know, taking out the noise, cutting out the chatter and realizing what people, what, what this American dream that's been imposed upon us has been imposed on us without us ever having any input into it really, right? I have to live in this reality, but I didn't get to pick this reality in a way, right? Once I'm here, now I have to navigate through it to get to where I want to go. I think once you kind of understand that, that the system, and I don't want to go negative, but you have to have that glasses is half empty at times. You know, you have to have that attitude, be a little bit of a pessimist and go, what am I seeing and what is going on around me? And determining going, well, this isn't right. Well, that's fine, but don't become a victim. Go, what do I need to change to make it right? So what I heard you say is that, you know, sometimes we are almost like programmed to think about where we need to go, what we need to do in our life, what's expected of us, what everybody else is doing. And your whole philosophy is to lead a simple life. And so you started talking to us about your three-legged stool, and Mm -hmm. it sounded like that's the third leg, is to maybe be a little bit more clear about what your purpose is, why you're doing the things that you're doing, and have it be meaningful and maybe simplify the process. Is that Does that sound right? Absolutely. Because I think today, humans, the way we live, we, we kind of lose touch that we're, no, we're just an organism. We're just another animal on this planet. And we like to think we're special. We like to think we're you know the top of the food chain, which we're not. We're really not. And understanding that our ancestors and, and, and even prehistorically lived very simple lives before, before cities and uh, you yeah. know, kind of you know, the modern system that we see today. We lived in small tribes. We were nomadic. We were hunter-gatherers. Our lives were filled with a lot of downtime, a lot of family, a lot of community. And we've lost that. And I think once you kind of come to grips to that, that life is more than the concrete jungle and things. It's, it's more than this, this massive bureaucracy that you know, we're in. It's, my attitude is very simple. As long as I'm not hurting anyone else, or infringing on their free will, why do you care? You know what I mean? Uh, that's being human. That's how I was born. I was born to be free, not to be under the boot of anyone. Yeah. And long as I'm not harming anyone, get out of my way. You know, let me live. Let me be me. And I think we've just, in society today, it, we, we have, we've become like an ant colony. We've become sheep. We just, we follow blindly and we don't question and ask, why? Why do I have to do that? That doesn't yeah. make sense. So you're empowering people to think for themselves. And what I find yeah. so ironic in your story is how you started off from this really small town and you felt like there's more to life. I'm going to really do more for myself. And so here you are hustling and you go through university, you go through like all of these jobs and you're making a lot of money. You end up you know, going down this whole path and then end up 
back in this place where it's just very like, let's strip all that away and let's go back to simple. It was full circle. And what, it was full circle. There were two things once I left the government and I moved into that little place. I remember sitting there and I'd moved in. I'd finally settled in, gotten rid of everything, was moved in. And I was sitting at my desk and I remember going, what am I going to do? And what had happened is I was actually overwhelmed with freedom. It had been a very long time in my life since I had felt truly free and it screwed my head up. And I remember kind of panicking, having almost a panic attack. And I went, wait, 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 this is so wrong that I'm about to have a panic attack. By because being I have free. freedom. Because yes. I'm free now. Yeah. I've detached all these things that had been inhibiting me without me knowing it and kind of going, oh my Lord, what have I done? And I went back and I, I kind of had to do a, a, an inventory of what made me happy when I was young. Not that life was perfect then either, but what were the things that gave me joy? Yeah. I remember my dog, my shotgun, my bike, some music, and my sporting things like my basketball, my baseball mitt. You know, I, I lived very rural. I lived in a town of 50 people. There was nothing around. I'd ever fried two miles to get wow. to this little grammar school to go shoot baskets. And I spent a lot of time outside. I spent a lot of time reading. Mm-hmm. And all these things, and I just remembered going, all those items that I cherished cost far less than some 16-year-old's iPhone. You know, that was my life. That was my entire life. And I went, wow, those things kept me very, very busy. And I had to get back to that and go, okay, what today would fill in those gaps? What happened yeah. was I'd lost hobbies. And I bet a lot of people can kind of relate to that. The hobbies I had as a kid and things I did in college, I hadn't done forever. Yeah. And I realized that and I went, oh my Lord, I didn't even know how to ride a bike anymore. That's a really good reminder for people. So you just shared with us the third leg of your stool, mm-hmm. but but start us off with, I think we skipped one and two. So oh, fill, yeah, yeah, fill yeah. us in. Well, and this whole philosophy evolved because I was running a health company. I was training people. I was working with athletes and I was... Following, I, I was always passionate about sports and health. I changed my health and and because I thought I was healthy until I realized I wasn't and changed everything. And so I'd started this health company that's evolved into what this is well over a decade later of what I teach in the simple life. Well, first started out with the five principles, which I'll just I won't elaborate, but I'll give you what they were. And I came up with knowledge is power, avoid extremes, keep it simple irony, because that eventually became the, 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 the business model. Something is better than nothing and do something today and every day. And those were my five principles of teaching health and how to motivate people. Well, you would think, I thought that was fairly simple and straightforward. It wasn't. A lot of people were getting confused because I had evolved from health uh, to this living off-grid. I called it life simplicity. My journey had turned into this life simplicity kind of movement and everywhere I went. And so the whole model changed and my business changed as I was going. And so I was having to evolve the business and notice that even those are still my principles to this day, people were a little lost on what I was doing. And they're all, what are you teaching exactly? And I went, huh, I went, good point. So I actually, in a hotel room, before I went out and gave a live presentation at a Mother Earth News Fair, I went, break it down into three simple points. What are you teaching? And that's where the three-legged stool came from. And I go, what is the primary, most important thing you teach? Health. 
optimal health. You need to be healthy. Everything evolves from your health. Everything, your attitude, your cognitive function, your sexual desire, you know, your motivation, your ability to deal with stressors, uh, happiness, uh, everything. Everything evolves from your health. Everything. That's the pinnacle. You have to, that is my number one focus every single day of my life is to make sure I'm as healthy as I possibly can be. Number two is financial freedom by being debt-free. I would never been a big debt guy. I'd always lived pretty conservatively. I always had six months of savings. Well, I got caught in the bubble. I got caught in the real estate bubble. I did everything right, but I, I got caught up in it. And I ended up in a situation that I never would have been in otherwise. So I said, never allow that again. Never allow the banks to control you. So once I sold the house, got rid of everything, I was debt-free and have pretty much been debt-free ever since. And I was before that. Uh, when I was young, I, I didn't have debt. I didn't have a credit card until I was in college. So I had been debt-free a large part of my life and going debt-free, I own my houses. I own my properties. I own my car. I own my RV. I don't. I pay cash. I finance things to leverage, but that's a little trickier. That's a more advanced part of financial freedom, being able to leverage money. But even then, you got to be careful. So that's the second part is you will sleep much better at night. You don't have to worry about that Lexus payment and that mortgage payment. I'm telling you people, I've done it. I know a lot of people who follow me who are now debt-free, own their own houses. It's a total different ballgame. It changes everything. And not only that, but it makes you mobile. That's a big part of it is if you own your property, which I just did, I sold my off-grid house and I had no plans to sell it, but the market got hot in an area that I never thought it would get hot in. I loved my house. I built it most of it with my own two hands. I sold it. <laughs> I went, I'm stupid if I don't sell it right now. And the market is that hot. I need to get rid of it. And so I did, but I couldn't have done that if I didn't own it. I owned it outright. So I was able to make the decision. If it didn't sell, fine. I have no mortgage, right? Worst case scenario is I end up in my house that I love anyway. It's a big difference as opposed to a $4,000 payment and your taxes just went up because they reassessed it because now the housing market's gone nuts, but somehow your, your income's gone down. Uh-oh, now we got a problem, right? So what I love about what you teach, Gary, is that really what you're saying, you're reminding us that when we simplify our life and we get rid of all the things that cost us money that we don't have, that we're paying all this payment for, and we have all this debt in the back of our mind that really stresses us out, mm -hmm. We can eliminate that. We can simplify that. We can still have all the things, but maybe not as expensive or you know, live within our means, essentially. And if we can take the focus off of the things and more on you know, our health and our purpose, then we end up having a much happier experience. And I think that perhaps also feeds very much into how you can avoid burnout. Well, yeah. And, and I always t say it this way. It's focusing on the things you need, not the things you want. There's a big difference between the two. The things you need will make you happy. The things you want will only make you happy for a short period of time. And then you're ridden with the debt and the item. Because I've done this. I've, I've written books. I've got a whole book series on all this. I have a book on decluttering. I have a book on financial freedom. I talk about these things and I run people through it and I explain to them why. And you know, I have I get tons of emails. I have a lot of people who do it, follow what I teach and read my books and listen to the podcast.
So I know it works. I didn't know when I created it. I didn't know it would stick because I went out there and I gave the presentation on a sticky note and I had it. And I literally saw people's heads bobbing up and down going, yes, yes. I went, I got it. I went, I found it. I found the meaning of what I'm doing. Now I have my life purpose. I have it dialed in. I know where I need to go. And it evolved from there 